0: Drug overdose deaths soared to over 93,000 in 2020. That's a 30% increase over the previous year. That's tragic and alarming. But beyond the statistics are the stories of real people, people we love, our families, our friends, our neighbors, who share their stories of pain, grief, and loss and suffering through addiction as well as the stories of those who work tirelessly to combat this devastating epidemic. I'm Mike Torville. Join me now for Healing Voices Project. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Healing Voices Project. I'm Mike Torville. We're glad you're back. You know, we've been at this now for a few weeks, and I have to tell you, this has been, for me, an education, uh, more than I expected it to be. So each of our guests have shown us uh, their stories, what we learn from their stories, or people who work in the field of addiction who share what they've gone through for treatment and their professionalism, and every single week... I've learned something new. It's been an education. And speaking of education, um, our guest today has a long history of education. Uh, Currently, our newly reelected mayor, Bill Sapelli. Bill, thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Michael. Glad to be here. Thanks. Glad to have you. Believe me. Um, You do have a long history of education here, don't you? I do. I do. Your service to Aguam did not start with you becoming mayor. No, it did not. I was uh, born and brought up
1: here in mm-hmm. Um, Went through the Aghom schools, went away to college, came back, and became a substitute teacher and a coach, was yeah. a hockey coach. And then I also became the assistant football coach and assistant baseball coach. And they hired me permanently as a science teacher at the junior high. I taught eighth grade science. From there, I became the assistant principal in 1985 at the... Uh, Deering school. Okay. And I spent uh, five years there. And from there, I went to Robinson Park as the principal for 12 years. Then to the central office as the assistant superintendent in 2002. And then in 2011, uh, I was the superintendent of schools until I retired in 2017. So I put in 40 years in the school system as a coach, a substitute, a teacher, an assistant principal, assistant uh, superintendent, and superintendent.
0: So, yeah. And mayor for
1: well four years, and now I have another two years, so at least six. So now that the uh, campaign is over, you're
0: just looking for stuff to do.
1: <clears throat> I am. There's nothing to do here. Everything <laughs> really just runs by itself. I so. yeah, ask anybody, they'll tell you that.
0: <clears throat> well, going back to the 40 plus years, and by the way, when you when you coached hockey, you played too, right? Yes, I did. I
1: was mm-hmm. uh, a hockey, baseball, and football player in high school. When I went to college, uh, I played junior hockey for the Nashville Maple Leafs. I went to St. Anselm's College up in Manchester, New okay, Hampshire. Yeah. I played junior hockey my uh, when I was a sophomore up in uh, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. and I played four years of baseball for St. Anselm's College. So okay, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I know uh, we're pretty close in age. And I used to play hockey, but I think we just missed playing against each other. You know? Yeah, I graduated from Agam in 72. I'm 77 from Westside. Okay, Too bad so... we didn't... Uh... <laughs> well, it's
1: a good thing for me, because you would have probably uh, taken me out. The I story. played
0: for uh, Gene Grazia. and uh, yes. you remember Gene? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes, when yeah. I was playing, he was a coach for Westside. When I started coaching, I coached against Gene Grazia
0: Yeah. for uh, a little few years. Oh, yeah. yeah. Kenny Kendig, I think, was there. Kenny
1: was the assistant, and Kenny took over for Gene when Gene retired. Gene retired in... Somewhere around
0: uh, 81, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So you've seen a lot of changes. I have seen a lot of changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I was thinking about if you were to go back to, let's say, the mid-'80s, mm-hmm. and you were to take a page out of your school program and say, okay, here's the list of priorities that we have for our school system, and compare that to your list of priorities today, how do you think, what would it, how would it look different I think
1: one of the biggest differences today versus back in the early 80s is the uh, social issues, quite frankly. Um, Back then, you had a different dynamic with families. Yeah. Okay, it was was completely different. Um, You didn't have as many uh, parents working as you do today. There was someone at home more often at that time. Because we're going back, you know, 40 years. Now, going back to 40 years,
0: I I think part of it is you see more single parenting today than there was then, too. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And uh, you see um, a lot more issues with substance abuse, and you see a lot more availability of illicit substances, and it's easier for um, young people to get their hands on it and uh one thing I see more of today is a lot of the peer pressure oh yeah. yeah to get involved with stuff of that nature
0: yeah and the peer pressure is difficult in so many ways because if you think you're an adolescent <clears throat> somewhere between thirteen and eighteen and you have this feeling you want to belong to a, a group and you belong to this group you feel good uh if you or or you don't and then you' f- You might feel uh, excluded, and that that starts to get to that person's uh, insecurities as an adolescent. So it's easy to give in to peer pressure for the feeling of wanting to belong, right? You're absolutely right, and it's the ones
1: that don't find that niche, that group to hook up with, to become part of, and sometimes they go the way that we don't want them to go. Um, What is so important for parents and teachers and guidance counselors is to find these students and find them their niche and help to lead them down that path. Whether they're a musician, mm-hmm. whether they're an athlete, whether they're good with their hands and they're into technology, find them a place where they can fit in and find a group that has like interests as they do. Because if you don't do that, they're going to find a group, and oftentimes if they can't find their own group, that group might be uh, the group that you don't
0: want them hanging out with. The group that <clears throat> doesn't have something uh, constructive like the the idleness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right, it could be sports, it could be art, could be music, could be um, any kind of activity, languages even, in clubs. Something that keeps them occupied. But when you don't have, they just look for some sort of recreational activity and unfortunately that sometimes leads to substance abuse, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Everybody,
1: everybody wants to fit in, everybody wants to have uh, a worth and, and, and have a group that they're associated with. Yeah. Um, you know, oftentimes he goes, oh, he's a loner, she's a loner. They don't want to be loners. They really don't. They want to fit in, but sometimes they don't know where they fit in. They don't know how to break into a certain group. And that's why they need some, some adults to kind of lead them down the right path, see what their interests and their skills are. If, it's, if, if they're musically inclined, mm-hmm. they, they have a good voice, or if they're, they can play an instrument, and they might be into robotics. They might be into athletics, and there are all sorts of athletics. It's not just football, baseball, basketball. There's running. There's track and field. There's other areas where some kids that don't seem like an athlete can fit into long-distance running. There's so many things they can do, but somebody's got to get a hold of these
0: young adults and steer them in the right direction. When you participate in some of those activities, the best thing about it is the social aspect of it all, right? And if you think the connection to people— and the um, that 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 feeling of camaraderie that makes you feel like you belong. The opposite of that is the isolation. And if you're not part of the, a group that's connected and you're alone, especially I think with the social media, where people, you know, just get zoomed in on their phone, ignoring all that's around them, and that creates the isolation. Even in the middle of a room full of people, they're isolated because they're not even aware. Of the people around them they should normally connect with.
1: You're absolutely right. I don't know how many times we can say we've been uh, <laughs> in uh, different events with our own children or our relatives, our nieces and nephews, and they're in the same room, and they're not communicating like you and I are right now. Right. They're texting each other, and they're only 10 feet apart.
0: Right. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, I went to a meeting, this is a few years ago, for work, and it was, happened to be in Washington, D.C., and it was a... Um, I had to meet someone. It was a military general, of all people, at a lobby at the Ritz Hotel in um, Washington, D.C. So I'm walking in. I'm I'm dressed up. I'm ready to wait for the person I'm meeting. And um, in the lobby, there was all the chairs and everybody, all these politicians, and um, they're all zeroed in on their phones. And I noticed no one's talking to each other. And these are... 50, 60-year-old people, like a bunch of teenagers in the room. And I was astounded. I said, oh, my goodness, look at this. Everyone's completely unaware of what's around them. So I left, made a phone call uh, out in the parking lot, Uh, and came back in, and everyone was in the same position 15 minutes later. And you could walk through the room, and not a person would have noticed. How sad was that?
1: Yes, it is. It's a different dynamic today, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. And it's not just with uh, teenagers. No, hmm. no. You see a lot of elderly yeah. now are getting into technology <laughs> and they're, they're uh, doing a lot of uh, FaceTime. And, yeah. and this this pandemic kind of encouraged that because you couldn't be out in public for obvious reasons during the pandemic. So a lot of individuals got into the FaceTiming and the Facebook and all of those
0: different options with the media yeah. and have stuck with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and that's good in a way if you want to connect with family remotely especially during the COVID, at least that helped bridge that gap. Oh, and you especially know. if they're out of town. I mean, we, we
1: have so many, so many uh, relatives now that, that your, your children, your nieces, your nephews, who after they get out of school, they want to test the waters and they'll move out of state, even across country and so it's nice that you do have the opportunity to facetime them so you can actually see them in real time especially grandkids right as we get older yeah but uh if they're out of the area but uh, you know that's appropriate and there are very appropriate ways of using social media but i do think we're overusing it now when we're in the same room
0: right right and uh the separation and what leads to the isolation and the disconnection with people and the other thing is too is People can be very rude
1: and disrespectful, and it's easy to do that through social media. You can put posts on about people or text about people, and you're hiding behind that phone or that computer, and that's very, very painful to individuals. When, especially in schools, where you know they're making fun of or picking on other individuals or bullying them through social media, that can be very depressing for people and chase them down the wrong. Um, avenue. Oh,
0: right. yeah, yeah. And that bullying thing is just, it it, it, it's, it it's makes me angry to think about how, <clears throat> how much that happens. And <clears throat> just through social media, and the person doesn't even have to, it just hits them out of the blue. Usually, I mean, back 40 years ago, when we didn't have social media, the bullying would take place in person. You'd see people being picked on publicly and it happens right there sometimes people aren't aware till later on they see what what's been said about them hours later and there's nothing they can do it it's past the point and it's spreading like wildfire and that can be really devastating oh absolutely somebody. not to mention some of these these people that
1: are posting these young adults are, are posting pictures inappropriate pictures or someone else takes that and shares that with with other people and it can be devastating
0: You couple that with that isolation we talked about, and then you wonder why some people or or teenagers in particular resort to taking drugs or drinking or doing something to relieve that kind of pain and depression.
1: Absolutely. I mean, everything we talked about uh, thus far this morning, we even talked about athletes. I remember when uh, we have uh, what we call a district-wide support team. That started, I'm going to say, around 2005. With uh, the then Superintendent Mary Tchaikovsky. Mm-hmm. I was her assistant. And uh, we had some uh, unfortunate issues where two or three 2018, 20, 20, 21 year olds passed away from overdoses and so we started what we called the district-wide support team to support some of the parents get the school involved and so we rented out of the high school at 7:30 in the morning as a matter of fact there's a meeting this morning as we speak 7:30 okay. 30 this morning they they meet the first uh friday of the month as a rule okay and they talk about things they can do to help um people that are stressed out people that are maybe having substance abuse problems and they talk about strategies that can be involved and i remember we bring in different speakers. We had the sheriff's department in, we had the DA's uh, office in, talking about what they do for substance abuse and how they can help people. Mm -hmm. And they also talked about you know, the whole deal, the good, the bad, and the ugly, about the individuals that are incarcerated, the ones that were arrested, how it impacted the family, Mm -hmm. not just that individual. And I remember we had one young man come in. At the time, he was 25, and he was recovering at that point. And we were so proud of him, but very good-looking young man. He was a very good student at Agawam. He was an athlete.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, he injured, I, I want to say it was his knee. Uh, whatever sport, it doesn't matter, soccer, lacrosse. He injured his knee and had to have surgery. And when he was on the, uh, after he got released, Oxycontin was yep. prescribed. And he got hooked. Yeah, And then he started trying to feed the habit, and he started... Uh, Stealing, breaking into homes, cars. Doing things way out of character oh, that he would never have done. He was today. a top student. Yeah. He was an honor student, all yeah. honors classes, a good-looking right. kid, good family, Yeah, great family. Mom and dad at home, just supporting and well-off and, and just a good kid. And uh, he went down that road. So as we were talking earlier about whether it's bullying, whether it's not fitting in it, or sometimes you do fit in, um, and you're a good athlete, a
0: good student— it doesn't matter. Sometimes it can catch you. Yeah. You mentioned that district support team. What? It, that's it's called the district uh, district wide support district wide support team um, D W S T. Is and that. Uh, who who's on that team?
1: Um, that team is um, run by basically the uh, principal at high school. Okay, and all the counselors, whether it's regular counselors, or adjustment counselors, or emotional, social-emotional counselors. Okay. Uh, there are clergy that mm. are involved in that. Parents? It's, it's open to everybody. There's parents involved in that, and it started with parents. Mm. A parent uh, started that with the then-Superintendent Mary Jukowski. a parent that lost her son to drugs. And they started this, and we started bringing in speakers, but it, it started with the school community and um, the business community. Okay. Um, and it, it really helped this parent and others to talk about what happened in their particular situation give that advice to other people so that they could maybe see this coming and how they dealt with it and maybe it would help them in the future it led to a lot of different counseling opportunities too what agom did at that time after being made aware of the situation okay we contracted with behavior health networks yeah brought them in to our school system so that they could assist whenever we had uh, issues with parents, students, drug issues. And the good part of that was it could be any time, weekends, nights. Because we were contacted and contracted with BHN, Mm -hmm. if there was an issue, they could contact BHN directly, and they could get placed. One of the things you hear an awful lot is there aren't enough beds out there for these individuals for the placement. Right, And this would put them toward the front of that line. Okay. Um, So we're very helpful to some of these families that needed that assistance at the time. And we're still connected with BHN. We still have them involved. We've added several counselors at the high school to deal with all sorts of social-emotional problems. And anybody that has these drug issues, we can contact and have them reach out to different organizations that are out there for them. But uh, because we're involved early on, and that's the key: getting involved in trying to identify these students to have the potential to go down that road and try to steer them in the right direction.
0: Yeah, early on is yeah the, yes. the quicker you can nip it, prevent it from in the beginning, or Let's intervene. The quick, the quicker the better. Now, with the district support, district-wide support team, um, parents are involved. If somebody wanted to get involved with that, how would they? Who would they reach out to?
1: They could uh, call uh, the high school because okay. that's where it's, it's located at the high school. It's run out of the high school. Okay. And talk to any of the counselors up there or the administrative office um, at the high school.
0: Okay. Okay. So it's easily found. And,
1: and I believe it's and, on, a, on the school's high school's website as well. Okay. So parents are welcome There's to There's a join. link. Yeah. yeah, There's a link to that.
0: Okay. Great.
1: And they meet? Once a month, the first Friday, typically the first Friday, unless there's a holiday or something involved, but typically it's the first Friday, 7.30 in the morning,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right in the high school cafeteria, um, 7.30 the uh, first Friday of
0: the month. Okay. Good to know.
1: And uh, to be honest with you, if they just showed up
0: up there, they'd be welcome. Okay. That's good to know, too, because I'm sure I didn't, I wasn't aware of that, but I'm sure a lot of parents may not be. Yes, and there's at least 20 to 25 people
1: um at every meeting okay if not more okay and they have some great speakers and, and great presentations about substance abuse Oh, uh, they had somebody come in from a methadone clinic to talk about how that works and, and mm-hmm. how that can assist people and uh they've had people as i said from the da's office to talk about the whole process and how they try to assist uh they try not to go to uh, incarceration right away they try to you know get the counseling for these people yeah um There's a lot of assistance, a lot of help out there, but people feel helpless when they're first thrust into that situation with no warning. A parent, for instance, and all of a sudden they find out they never thought it'd be their child.
0: Yeah, and that's so common, and I think what catches people off guard, because they have no idea what to do. They don't, they don't. Where do I start, who do I call, who do I get advice from? And and, and I'll Uh, be honest
1: with you, Michael, the first response from a parent is, Okay, I don't want to share this. I'm uh-huh. embarrassed. Yeah, And that's that's a problem because you need to get on that as early as you can. Because if you take that role, like I'm embarrassed, I don't want to talk to me, you better reach out to people because it gets goes south
0: real quick. It does go south real quick. And I think a lot of parents, will, not just parents, but people, even if you're the person going through it and you reach out because you're afraid to, and that's common as well for the, the actual person going through any kind of substance abuse disorder or addiction, or at least feeling like they're getting towards that and a little nervous about it. But but the thing is, it's easy to say, Just but once you do that and take that step in reaching out and having a conversation, meet, often you're not just relieved, but surprised at how many people are also going through the same thing. And hearing them talk and you say, well, it's it's... It's not just me, I'm not alone. There's other people that can help that maybe I can even help. But there's so many people that may be unaware are going through and I learned that after writing the book and getting through programs that people I talk with, I'm overwhelmed with how many people have gone through it. And I have addiction in my family, alcoholism, and so many people do that they've hit it and that we're trying hard to, to relieve that stigma. You
1: know? and, and that is a problem. And everybody has incidents in their family. Everybody yeah. does. Yeah. There's nobody that that, that that misses it. It, it comes out everywhere. And, and, and one of the biggest things, too, the biggest problems that, that we found while I was in the educational field, and you, you deal with this constantly, denial. Oh, I can control this. I'm not really hooked. I can stop when I want. That's not necessarily the case. No. And unfortunately, um, I'll refer to them as the dealers, the people that are supplying these individuals. It's a marketing, just like any business. To them, this is a business. Not a good one, but it's a business. And they hook you. They start giving it free, and then all of a sudden, once they hook you, it's not free anymore. It starts costing a lot of money. And there's different drugs out there. When you start, as I said, with that one individual who was on Oxy from the surgeries, Mm -hmm. that's expensive. So the cheap drug is the heroin. Yeah. And so they all eventually, if they're really hooked, end up going to that drug because it's the cheapest drug, but it gets them that high they need. And that's so dangerous today. And it was bad enough back when we were talking about it in the early 80s. But now with the fentanyl and them lacing a lot of these with fentanyl, it's deadly.
0: It's deadly, deadly.
1: What Agawam did, and we were one of the first communities to do it, and and the DA had a nice article at the time when I was a superintendent. Um, We started pushing Narcan, and our police officers were one of the first ones that took on the use of Narcan, Mm -hmm. which many uh, police departments now in Mississippi use that, and they carried on them. And and at first, the, the feeling was... Well, we're enabling these people, and I said, "How so?" They said, "Well, if they know we have this miracle drug that can bring them back, basically from the brink of death, which is what it does, exactly, too, right, <clears throat> then we're enabling them, and and they'll keep doing it because they know we can save them." I said, "Yeah, that's you have a point there. However, I think you have to look at it another way. You have to look at it every time you save that poor individual. That is hooked. Then it's an addiction. They can't help themselves once they're addicted." You give that person a chance to get to recovery. They may not see it the first time. They may not see it the second time. But hopefully the third or fourth, you saved their life so eventually they can finally go down that right path of getting the help they need. If we just say, you know, that's not our job. We're not going to carry that Narcan on us. We've got a lot of people that uh, don't have that opportunity to finally get the help they need. And uh, our police department, like many others, Unfortunately, in a month's time, use that Narcan more often than people would
0: be aware of. I look at it as not just saving that addict or, as you said, enabling that addict. To me, it's saving a family from being devastated. Oh, It's saving a family from the tragedy of losing somebody. And yet think of it in a broader point, right? That's, to me, you save that person, and you're right. They give them another chance and maybe keep that family whole. Without a doubt, and you
1: know, you talk about the family and how that impacts the family. Um, when this is happening, uh, because I was involved, basically in the uh, public sector, between the two jobs I've held, school yep. side and now that as a mayor, you hear a lot of people's stories, and what happens with that addict in that household? Unfortunately, they lash out at the ones that love them or trying to help them the most. In many ways, sometimes physically. Certainly emotionally, but also financially, because they end up stealing mm-hmm. from their loved ones that are in the house with them. It's convenient. They start there, pawning off jewelry or other th- items, stealing the monies out of, out of the house. That It's there for groceries or some other thing. And that family dynamics really, really get put in a very challenging position. And uh, it has a devastating impact
0: on the family members of that attic, without a doubt. Yeah, and you know you hear all the statistics, and I often say this, and I don't ever want to sound like I'm repeating myself, but the statistics—it's a hard word sometimes—in the morning, <laughs> the statistics uh, say it's been—it was a thirty percent increase in 2020 from the year before. Ninety-three thousand deaths from overdoses. Okay, that's a lot, but I think beyond that is you think 93,000 deaths times their family and friends and their network. You're talking hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people affected by this, whose lives are changed forever. Uh, And it's the pain that goes on and on. And so many, too many friends of mine and many people who are listening have lost a family member. Um, You can't measure that in a statistic. No. 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 It, and it, it's just terrible.
1: It lives with you forever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It stays there forever. And so I think those statistics are the tip of the iceberg, really, as to how bad the problem is.
1: It is. It is. And, and we talk about overdosing. That's what we've been talking about. But there's other, other ways they lose their lives, too. The way if they're on some substance and they're in a car driving, you know, and getting into a vehicle and, and other people, uh, yeah. have an accident.
0: So... Yeah. And you know, what I found too, and which is a wonderful thing that some people that I've worked with recently who are recovered and they want to dedicate their time to helping people. So many people have said, look, if my story, is bad as it was, if I tell my story and if that can help other people, then I'm all for putting it out there. I you know? agree. And I've talked to uh, yeah.
1: many people that were recovered and, uh, the, importance of them sharing their story is one thing because they share the story and when they're sharing it with individuals that may have an addiction, they say, okay, I'm not alone. But more importantly, when they're sharing their story, that addict realizes they know what they're talking about. Because if you were an addict, I'm told, um, there are certain things you go through. They're pretty consistent. And so when somebody's speaking with that knowledge, that addict is listening to them and saying, okay, they're not just blowing smoke here they know what they're talking about because that's just what happened to me that's how i got hooked that's what happened when i was high and i'm looking for the high and who how i have impacted my family and that can bring them around more than just some uh physician teacher lawyer a counselor they talk to an, a recovered addict and that has more of an impact we had a lot of help from the uh the sheriff's department when they would actually send in recovered addicts mm-hmm. or at the time they even brought some people in that were still incarcerated that were on their way to release. They were close to the end, and they would always be supervised, but would bring them in to speak to these these young adults. The old uh, adage, scared straight, where they would tell their story. Yes. And that was impactful. You could see the kids sitting up, paying attention, listening. Um, it was really impactful. The Sheriff's Department does so much for the whole Western Mass area with, with assisting with, with a, in a lot of ways, but that's one way that they
0: assisted and they would attend some of our district wide meetings as well mm-hmm. and that's why we have some of our guests here talk about their stories because i think some of the listeners or people even in the book and that's why it's told from from them their point of view because they're, they're whether it's somebody reading or listening they think you know this is this is me how do they how do they know and it hopefully connects where they relate to it and say you know what hey if this person came out of it then maybe there's a chance for me too you hope that connection is made
1: right yeah. and, and and I think and I want to believe this that many of the addicts do want to get to recovery but they don't know how to get there they don't know who to reach out to and as we said earlier there's a stigma they're embarrassed uh, they're down and out they're depressed and they feel good when they're high and that's a feeling they, they strive for and they don't know what the alternatives are if they can get the right person to reach out to them that they can trust, that kind of has a similar experience, it might get them down that road they need to be at.
0: Yeah, and you never know which conversation is going to make that happen. So you want those conversations to happen and put the word out. You know, you you mentioned um, how recovered people often help, and something you told me two years ago, um, you had actually suggested I go to the Aguam Junior High to listen to Chris Heron talk. Yes. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. Uh, And I, I... Went there, and uh, that was very impactful. I don't know if you you've heard Chris and you've seen a lot of his stories, what what he went through, and uh, there's a great example somebody who hit the depths on the verge of death uh, more than one time, and um, and now he's dedicating his his life and all his effort towards um, the Heron Project now. And, uh, in fact, we're working with them, too. Um, we did a couple programs with the Heron Project, and um, they're going to be a future guest as well. So,
1: Well, the, the way we hooked up with uh, Chris Heron was that uh, there was a parent who lost a child.
0: I remember, To yes. drugs. Yes.
1: And um, she reached out and got involved with that particular organization, mm-hmm. was attending our meetings and said, hey, look, and she raised money. And that's what a lot of uh, families do when they've lost somebody. They want to give back and make sure that some other family doesn't go through what they did. So they try to do and raise money to bring attention to this. And this particular parent um, brought Chris Heron in. And I believe he came at least three different times to Mm AGWAM to speak to not only the students, but also to the parents. Yeah. And we encouraged the parents, if they could, bring their students with them to this, this uh, program. And uh, that was very, very impactful because this is a real story about a real person. In the video that, that they showed too, the short video mm-hmm. uh, during the presentation, is very impactful when he was playing for the Celtics. Yeah. And how he was had had, it, had the world, he was there. He, he made it big, he made it to the pros. He was an outstanding player, um, an athlete from Massachusetts too. Mm-hmm. So, so it was somebody local mm-hmm. uh, that was an outstanding high school star and ended up making it big with the Celtics. and
0: Threw it all away with drugs, right? And now, and looking at that, he's trying to prevent that. In fact, his what he's emphasizing is getting this early as possible. What you've said too, starting with the kids in high school, and and nipping it early, preventing from ever starting in the first place, and addressing those early anxiety, depression, mental health issues, or adolescent issues of insecurity, to stop this from starting.
1: Right, you know? and you know. I think maybe some people think the statement is overused, but but I don't think it is. You know, see something, say something. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a friend, a neighbor that you think is, or you know, in some cases these kids know which ones are,
0: yeah,
1: and they keep it to themselves. I get that you don't want to be what they call a rat, right? But you may save someone's life by speaking up to the right person, and that is so so important. Um, That's why we've added so many more counselors uh, to the different schools, and not just Agland, but all the the school systems across the country have done that. They realize the importance. But uh, we've also emphasized with parents, which is a difficult thing to do because there's a trust issue, Mm. but you've got to pay attention. And sometimes you've got to go into your child's personal areas, their room, and if you see some things, and, and some of these speakers you have will tell you what to look for. If you get this impression that your child is using, by the way they come home at night, by their eyes, their behavior, whichever, their grades going down, Mm -hmm. their lack of interest, their lack of cleanliness. Sometimes what happens is their hygiene goes all of a sudden. There was somebody that always wanted their hair right, uh, their clothes right, and all of a sudden that's not happening anymore. Look for those signs. Get some help, and and it's your job as a parent. You know, you're not your child's friend, you're your child's parent. Sometimes you do have to cross that line, go into their room, start looking and see what type of things they have and see if it leads you to believe that maybe there is something to this uh, feeling you have about something's not right with my child, their behavior's different, and they might be on drugs. It's difficult, but...
0: uh, It's difficult, but maybe that that feeling of your child being angry at you is temporary.
1: Well, Um, let's let's put it this way.
0: What's not temporary is if you lose them.
1: To substance abuse. Exactly. That's permanent. Right. That's permanent. So they may be mad at you. Let's face it. When, when you finally do find out for sure and you get the child the help they need, the counseling, they're not happy with you initially. They're not. But that's where there's a lot of tears. There's a lot of pain. But, you know, 5, 10 years later, 20 years later, when they're still alive, they have grandchildren. That's what it's all about. Yeah. So. I think all gets forgiven, <laughs> but it takes, time. it takes time when you're in the middle of it, going yeah. through and I'm sure it is a real difficult task, but sometimes you'd have to be that parent, not their friend.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now with the, the, it, their peers too. And if, when you said people are, are afraid sometimes to say something cause they say, well, maybe somebody else will say something. And maybe you're the, the somebody else that somebody else thinks you're going to. But as a result, sometimes nobody says anything. But I think the advice would be to, to step up and don't assume somebody else is going to say something. You know, that's a good point. So
1: what I would suggest to those individuals, if there's, a, and usually kids are in groups, at least two, three, four, five, and they're all friends. Yeah. Then you get together with those other friends. And as a group, maybe two or three of you go and reach out to that parent on behalf of your friend so that you're not
0: isolating, you're not doing it yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It relieves that feeling like uh, I'm going to be the guy looked at as the snitch. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are some programs about um, students making a pledge. Have you heard much about that? A pledge to uh, abstain from...
1: I have heard that. It starts at yep. the younger ages, which is a great thing. Like yep. We have uh, we have a different setup in angle. And we have four elementaries. We have what we refer to as a middle school, which is 5 and 6, and we have a junior high, which is 7 and 8, and then the high school, 9 through 12. Many communities just have a middle school, which is anywhere from 5 to 8 or 6 to 8. But whichever system or setup you have, it's great to get these students, when they're in, like, 5th and 6th grade, maybe even 4th, because that's before they really get started. Mm-hmm. but you have to go that far back. by high school in many cases, it's kind of late.
0: yeah it or not. You're right, you're right, and it's hard to undo
1: that exactly yeah. yeah. They're already down that path. they're down that
0: path and they I formed think, yeah.
1: their group of friends, yeah, and they've got into those different niches and uh, the, 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 it's gonna what's going happen is going to happen at that point. it's tough to undo it
0: yeah it is well for for parents, and you, you you mentioned a lot about the signs they look at, whether it's their their hygiene, hygiene or isolation, or losing interest and things like that, if a parent senses this and says, "Geez, something's wrong, who who do they call? I mean, how do they what's the first thing that they should do? Well, one of the first things
1: they can do and should do is, mm-hmm. and that's why we have them, is our our counselors. Every building, starting with the the Deering School, 5th and 6th, 7th and 8th, 9th and 12th, there's counselors. And there's programs, the district-wide program. Um, That's the best thing you can do. Talk to the professionals, which are the counselors, who may not be professionals in that specific area, but they can direct you and show you who to
0: go to and have conversations with. So go for them to call the counselor at the school the child attends. That's where the start Certainly exactly definite. because
1: what happens in most cases is the grades start going down. Yeah, they lose interest. That's a place to go. You know, if they're playing sports, the coach has not the knowledge of substance abuse, and, and but the connections on who to hook those people
0: up with. Okay, which would be a counselor. Okay, okay, and the counselor is right. This won't be the first time they've dealt with it, so they'll say okay, and they might already be aware of what that child might be going through or have observed. Exactly. So they may have more insight than
1: what the... One would hope. Back in the days when when you and I were in school, they basically, uh, they were guidance counselors and they scheduled and they watched your grades and they they kind of try to coach you with your academics. But counselors are much more than that now. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing because society's changed and we've hopefully changed with it um, in the right area. So there are social-emotional issues that counselors are dealing with now, not just academic issues and scheduling.
0: Yep, yep. Well, there's so much, and I know that we could uh, go on all day because there's so many programs and so many things. In fact, there's a couple of the centers here in Agawam. Um, The Compass Recovery Center, which is this December will be here uh, a year now. Yes, I
1: remember going and doing a ribbon cutting there about a year ago. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, Dino and Antonia uh, do a great job there. They do. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, uh, in fact, he's going to be a— future guest as well. in um, the Agawam Counseling Center. Um, They've
1: been with us for quite a few
0: years, yeah. the Agawam Counseling Center. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anything else in Agawam um, in terms of programs or centers that uh, we did not get to talk about that you think is important to Well,
1: mention? I think what's important, Mike, is what you're doing. Programs like this, um, where you're discussing... Uh, some of the different uh, options people have, and how you know, don't think you're isolated, you're not alone. There are a lot of other people just like you going through the same emotions, wondering, Okay, is it just me? Where do I get help? How do I deal with this? Uh, I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed. Well, you know what? That's the case that everybody feels that way, but you need to reach out before it's too late because once it's too late.
0: There's no one doing it. You you might, uh, I say you as as anyone listening, a family member who is confused as to what to do um, or not sure. I think that once you connect with somebody, you you might, uh, what's that word, have an epiphany maybe and say, wow, I had no idea that other people were going through this as much as I was. The anxiety I'm feeling is shared by so many other people. And maybe learning something and finding out what to do next um, is a relief to say, oh, thank God there's somewhere to turn. And somebody who understands, somebody who will listen to me and give me some direction. uh, That is so, it provides some hope, provides some support. And rather than a parent feeling isolated and alone and afraid, um, once you take that step and making that phone call and having the conversations, things start to open up.
1: One of the things parents can do first and foremost, where it's kind of you're not really putting yourself out there, is start looking at the the website, the Agam High School website, the counseling okay. areas. Go in there and start, you know, navigating through that, and you'll see there's some areas that they can help you. You can reach out to people, and when you make a phone call, you know, it's just you and that person on the other end of the phone. You give me your name, or you don't. Early on,
0: yeah.
1: there's a comfort level there where there's still the privacy. So we have a website, the Agome High School website, which has the counseling area, and there's different resources in there that could help these people. That would be the first step. And calling uh, Compass or Agome Counseling Center, too, is another option they may have. Okay. Even if they're suspecting it. And even if they're wrong, they didn't lose anything.
0: Oh, right. Reach yeah. out. Just yeah. be careful. Do your job as a parent. right. As you said many times, and I think it's important, worth repeating, the earlier you can nip this, the more you can avoid um, other problems that could lead to, like you said, once you, it, it could be too late and um, you want to avoid that. Too many people, unfortunately, that I've talked with, and I know there's one parent who um, had her 18-year-old uh, become addicted to heroin. It started with a, a thumb injury. You got in a fight. He was drinking, broke his thumb, ended up on Oxy, ran out of that, couldn't get it from the doctor anymore, resorted to heroin, um, in and out of rehabs for seven or eight years. And the parents were just devastated, didn't know what to do. They were exasperated, and the the child who was from 18 to, to 25 went through this, leaving home, homeless, back home, and the whole ordeal just devastated the family. But here's the thing. He uh, he finally came out of it. Then her second son got addicted to heroin for another seven years. She went through what turned out to be fifteen years of this. Um, and she that had, goes back to what yeah. you
1: said about it impacts the whole family. Yeah. The parents maybe more so than the child. It's yeah. uh, you know once that once that happens, uh, the road to return is very difficult and challenging.
0: Yeah, and uh, and then it's never the same because you're always suspect. Is this the day? that he's going to go back.
1: Oh, without a doubt, you're on pins and needles forever.
0: Yeah, so the sooner that can be prevented, the better.
1: Yeah, early intervention is the key to all
0: things. Yeah, it's worth repeating. It is. (laughs) Um, Well, Bill, thank you very much. Appreciate you spending time here. Um, We'll be talking ongoing. Thank
1: you, and thank you for what you're doing. As I said, this is one of the things you asked what we can do. What you're doing is so helpful to get the word out to people um, that you're not alone. There's a lot of people out there yeah. that are in the same boat you're in. Yeah. They might be your neighbor. They might be your relative. You just don't know that. But uh, please, please, go on the websites, reach out, look for the signs, do your job as a parent. As difficult as it's going to be, they're going to hate you for the first uh, few months, years. But once it's all over and they've moved on and they've recovered, your life is completely different than if you don't
0: them, Right. Yeah. Well, thanks again for all your support. No. We'll talk soon. You're welcome. All right. Thanks, everybody. Um, We'll see you next time. Thanks.